Welcome to the Light Reading Podcast. You are listening to the flagship audio production of Light Reading, and we cover the entire world of communications. This is Phil Harvey. I'm an editor at Light Reading, and I am joined on this podcast by my colleague Kelsey Zeiser for this episode that was recorded on March 11th. Our guest today is Mari Silby of US Ignite, and we will discuss the most recent developments in the world of smart cities, how carrier strategies and approaches for smart cities have changed. We will also cover um, a need for network testing that's been created by the government's plan to spend a billion dollars to accelerate the development of uh, Open RAN, uh, Open Radio Access Network technology in the U.S. So the government did this as a response to Huawei's worldwide dominance in 5G equipment and technology. Um, they want to mount some sort of quick response, and so throwing a billion dollars toward Open RAN seemed like a good idea. We will get into that and what testing need that creates and how some agencies are fulfilling that need. And you will get all of that and a little bit more right after the break. Let's welcome our guest to the Light Reading Podcast. Today's guest is a former Light Reading editor, and now she is directing corporate communications over there at US Ignite, which is a nonprofit of some size and estimation. I I, I have the hardest time describing what US Ignite (laughs) is, but please welcome Mari Silby. It is good to be back. Thanks for having me. And you must tell us what US Ignite is in the in the official way because I would I would butcher it. I would say something like they're 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 um, arming cities with with uh, robot scooters. I like it. Yeah. I like it. Robot scooters and um, robot flying robots too. No, that's, that's the other one we do. That's exciting. <laughs> no, we are a we're a high tech nonprofit based out of Washington D.C. and we are accelerating smart cities by working across the communities themselves, working across the industry, which uh, needs a path to economic and commercial growth there, and then also working with the academic sector and with federal agencies to advance the wireless and networking technologies that are going to make all of this possible. Okay, Kelsey, did you get all that? <laughs> Let's just go Hello. back to high-tech nonprofit, smart cities. <laughs> 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 well, we do we do have smart cities related topics. Um, recently on the site, uh, Mike Dano, uh, our ace reporter covering five G and all that that implies, said that uh, uh, put a story out that talked about um, reorganizations inside of Verizon and AT and T, in particular with leading executives that were um, previously kind of taking, or, or actually in, in one case still are taking charge of the smart cities business for those respective carriers. Um, so I guess my question is, is, uh, is the carrier uh, business for smart cities, um, is that changing or uh, being kicked down the road a bit? Is it taking longer to materialize? I'm, I'm wondering from your side, since you're meeting with cities and talk, and seeing these things close up, um, what's what's changed sure well i think there's always an overestimation of um how bullish a market it's going to be and everybody jumps in and says oh we can make lots of money 
Um, and the long-term prospects are still good, and we can we can go into some of those. Um, but but certainly the idea that there's a a quick win or a, or a, a get rich quick scheme is not the case. And one of the things I thought was interesting about the article was it focused on small cells, and that is obviously the connectivity piece is what layers all of this together and, and holds it together. But that is only one piece of the smart city puzzle. Mm. And if we focus on that for just a minute, because I, I do want to expand beyond that, but if you want to talk about the small cell side, there was that, that whole analogy of why, why carriers should even work with the cities at this point now that the FCC ruling has come down. And, right, yeah. You know, why do they have to make nice? And honestly, the answer is this is still in legal jeopardy. This is yeah. still in, in legal limbo. And, you know, the Ninth Circuit is... Uh, you know, potentially going to hand back some some rollbacks of this. Nobody really knows. And if it does, uh, if there do end up being rollbacks, if a new administration comes in in the fall, nobody really knows how much the carriers are going to have to give and take. Oh, is there an election this year? So I've heard. Okay. You know, I, I do All live right. in D.C., just, so I'm probably oversensitive. Yeah, yeah maybe oh. it's just happening. Here. I live under okay. rocks, so I had not yeah. <laughs> I think it's safer there right now. I think it's safer there right yeah. now. But even if you, you know, even if you take the legal piece out, it's not like the carriers don't still have to work with the cities. There's still right. always going to be negotiation. Yeah. The cities can still decide whether or not to be a thorn in their side, even if there are certain yeah. things they don't have the leverage to negotiate anymore. Mm-hmm. So the idea that the the carriers should just stop paying attention at all on the small cell front because the FCC says they can go in and do whatever they want is really short-sighted. And I, I don't think, quite honestly, I don't think that's how most people are approaching it, mm-hmm. um, but it's 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 definitely it's definitely in the discussion. Okay, well that that clears it up somewhat. Maybe they're kind of uh, reducing their smart cities um, organizations within the carriers. Um, you know, get, like shifting some of those um, executives to other roles or just making it a smaller group but not getting rid of it altogether is that what you're thinking Mari or well it's interesting like I you know I've heard it positioned in different ways and so you never know quite how to take what that corporate speak really means (laughs) some some folks are talking about it as you know it's being absorbed back into the larger organization of you know whatever these larger service providers are because it gets treated essentially as this is a a long business and it's not just a thing that we're dabbling in anymore. It is an actual thing, long-term strategy piece that we see as important to our business. How much of, again, how much of that is truth or just the way they want to spin it is, is up for, up for debate. Um, but from my perspective, there is definitely, um, a long game to be played here. And mm-hmm. there's some short wins along the way, I think, for any kind of service provider, carriers, both uh, wireless, both telecom and cable, in terms of connecting certain applications and certain things that are going to deliver deliver return in the near term, mm-hmm. street lights, kiosks, right. traffic management systems. Yeah, that, that's the thing too, is that, that, that this stuff is not, I, I know it came down with 5G small and small hmm. cells as like the catalyst to kind of kick off a, a round of these discussions, but we kind of were going down the smart cities path one way or the other. Um, cities do need to have more effective uh, traffic control, parking, 
uh, monitoring of you know city assets and you know uh, and right of, rights of way and things of that sort. And certainly there are higher ups in a lot of these companies, again, both cable and telco, that recognize the the longer term of it's not just about having a single product to sell. It's about the fact that ultimately cities, communities are big consumers of connectivity and we want to be there as a service provider because down the line, again, the cities can either choose to be a thorn in our side or we can treat them like a customer because they are consumers of our product in one form or another. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's it's definitely a, um, a, a an, an evolving business within the carriers. It's definitely not going away. Um, I think, uh, but but I, I do think the turnaround time for when they are going to, you know, uh, maybe the carriers aren't going to be this sort of Accenture type. Uh, come to us and do everything through us organization. It's very unclear. Yeah. I think some of them thought that they were, would be, and I think some of them may still think that they're going to be. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, that's, that's not clear to me. Yeah. All right. Do you, Mari, do you have any, um, you know, case studies of certain cities that are doing an awesome job of becoming smarter <laughs> or <laughs> also are there any new um, recent applications out there? I think um, last time we talked about like uh, monitoring where about. tires were getting disposed of. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> that was That's an impressive, right. that was an impressive example. Yeah. Yeah. No, there are, there's a couple things and I'll, I'll keep it short, but one of the things that I've heard for all the cities that are deploying more cameras, and that's uh, has whole other issues and, and layers to unpack there, if you will. But anytime you deploy a camera and are using, are streaming any information from that camera, that takes up a guess what, a whole lot of bandwidth. Sure does. And those data services, that does that's not a one-time cost. That's going to continue to scale up as cities add or communities or whoever adds more and more cameras. And the other thing, um, so that's not a specific community, that's just sort of a general statement. But one of the other things that I've seen more and more of is how communities are using drones in different applications. And that is certainly going to have an impact on streaming video and on bandwidth and connectivity usage. And the one example I'll give is there's a city in California called Chula Vista. And if you go searching for it, there's some videos online, too, that are really really fascinating Hmm. and they're using drones actually as a supplement to their police force which is terrifying in the abstract all i can do is think of like you know sci-fi movies and you know drones black i know scanning our irises and whatever you don't need to chase bank robbers anymore just send the drones but in this case a cop approached me while i was out walking today did you hear some gunshots nearby (laughs) i was like Uh um yes i did (laughs) He's like, do you know where they came from? And I'm like, I, I don't know. So I guess a drone would be, over there. you know, helpful in that yeah. situation. Well, so in Chula Vista, they had a particularly low per capita uh, police force per capita. So they were not able to get to as many 911 calls as quickly as they needed to be getting to them. Uh-huh. And what the drones have done is they've reduced the 
response time so that a, a drone can get there in something like their average response time is somewhere around three minutes mm-hmm. as opposed to a patrol car, which is more like, I think, seven. I, don't quote me on that. <clears throat> yeah. But the idea is that the drone can can go there, can provide intelligence to an officer en route right. um, and you know, potentially prevent an Eden neighborhood man chase kind of situation. And there are some, again, there's some videos online if you want to go take a look. So they are using drones. There's, they have done a huge amount of public engagement to make that palatable. And uh, it seem, it seems to be working in that case. Chula Vista city mm-hmm. of the future. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's a slogan I'm working on for, on behalf of the city. But I like we'll, it. I'll, I'll workshop it. We'll see if it works. Yeah. Don't drop your day job. That's better than keep Raleigh boring or. (laughs) (laughs) Or or for my city, it's a Fort Worth. Yes, we still have cows. Yeah. All right. Uh, On that on that uh, note, uh, let's let's go on a quick break. And when we come back, we want to talk about. Move on over to the break. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Oh, Kelsey. All right, we'll be right back on the Light Reading Podcast. Welcome back to the Light Reading Podcast. I'm Phil Harvey. Joining me as ever is Kelsey Zeiser. Hello, Kelsey. Hello, Phil. And uh, joining us is our former light reading colleague and now director of communications at US Ignite, Mari Silby. I don't think I can beat Kelsey for enthusiasm. Hey, everybody. It's tough to ratchet it up like that. This is Mari. She's kind of a big deal. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good, that's that's fair. Yeah. Uh, uh, Let's see. Okay. So, for whatever reason, uh, Mari wanted to talk about Oran. Uh, no, I, I, th- this actually is a is an ongoing discussion inside of light reading because we recently reported on um, obviously the 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 uh, race to five G is kicking off in weird ways inside you know U.S. companies and inside the the government. Um, the government's uh, there, there was recently a Senate bill uh, introduced. Um, I forget the senator's name, but uh, he wanted to uh, put aside some money, uh, a billion dollars, I think it was $700 million plus some, some other amount, to fund developments in Oran so that the U.S. could come closer to developing some kind of uh, uh, you know, 5G radio access network without, the, uh, without Huawei being involved. So this is all anti-Huawei legislation. <laughs> NZTE, don't forget. NZTE, but but mostly they're targeting Huawei because it's the the world leader in in five G RAND uh, uh, radios shipped and and deployed. And it's interesting because one of the first things that uh, I think Mike Dano wrote that story as well, and I think you know, actually Ian started it, and then we we've covered it since then. But one of the first things that that uh, Mike actually mentioned was he was like. And he and he actually followed this up in a different story. Was is a billion dollars even remotely close to enough money to, you know, fund that kind of research and development that quickly? So where where is your um, where's your head on all this stuff, Mari? Uh, you're you're watching this stuff in terms of you know the development of Oran, but what's the particular interest in um, 
in this for U.S. Ignite sure. or or government agencies. Yeah, no. So it is. It's it's Senator Mark Warner, by the way. It's a, it's a bipartisan bill that's been introduced, as you said, to to put a billion dollars potentially into accelerating or up to a billion dollars to accelerate the ORAN development. Mm -hmm. And yeah, from <laughs> from first listen, man, that sounds like a, a drop in the bucket. Yeah. And if you think about what it takes to, to be a Nokia or an Ericsson or an actually um, well-supported uh, provider of communications equipment that's going to go, you know, into national scaled networks. Um, so yes, I, I agree with the, the discussion that it's you know, it's a, it's a small amount of money in the scheme of things. But the other thing I find interesting about it is it's the federal government saying, essentially, go fund upstart tech to disrupt the vertically integrated equipment model. And that's going to go across, I mean, the carriers, on the one hand, love this idea because they never want to be tied to their, you know, one right. specific, again, vertically, in, vertically integrated vendor. Yep. But there's a whole ecosystem of providers and, and industry that's, Got a, a fair bit of sway, let's just say, in in DC, mm -hmm. in the halls of uh, where things get done or don't don't get done sometimes, oftentimes. <laughs> um, and the question is, how how is that whole cohort reacting to the idea that the federal government again wants to come in and fund uh, something that would be disruptive to existing business models, not just Huawei and and right. CTE, yeah. but also other companies. Yeah, um, it's interesting. It is interesting. I, you know, from from our perspective, part of the reason we're watching it too is we've continually been interested in how far some of the open source, the the, the concept of opening some of these pieces up within the radio network are going to go. Again, the 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 carriers have have always been pushing for this, right? Um, but they're also there's a lot of trade offs they're not willing to make. And one of the interesting things is going to be to see how viable anybody in this business can make some of these solutions so that they could actually potentially be competitive with anything that's out there today. And from our perspective, you need a place to be able to test some of these things. You need a place to be able to run some of the, the software orchestration stacks, a place to uh, configure and test with different equipment, different software and hardware configurations and through our platforms for advanced wireless resource uh, research program power we have that and it's a, a combination of you know research institutions and folks on the super academic geeky side it's the mm -hmm. the 30 plus wireless industry folks so it's definitely right. has the industry representation um, but it's a place for all of these these parties to potentially come together and test some of these new software options mm. in a place that is a, a scaled network uh, and not just in a lab. Yeah, that makes sense. So your interest, uh, your interest then is in um, sort of watching this develop as it pertains to um, the, well, not just the research and development, you know, uh, funding, but also the testing part. Right. Where does where how does that research and development testing get done? Right. Yeah. How do they answer some of them? This is hard stuff. There's not a lot of people who are doing this right now. Right. Yeah. So how do they figure? How do they work through the naughty problems of making this stuff work? And, and there's not a lot of good answers. One of the you said naughty like with knots, not right. naughty like <laughs> no no like, like K, bad problems. Bad problems. Bad problems. Um, um, no, the 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 weird thing about the testing part is 
that you know interoperability is one of those things carriers won't budge on. You yeah. know, they know it. Need, they know what they have. They know what their assets are. They need stuff to interoperate. And they need it to work first time through. And Ericsson and Nokia and all the ones that are in that space already know this, and that's what they're they're constantly having their feet held to the fire. So, how do you how do you kind of replicate that? And I guess test you know the the testing game is going to have to be raised considerably for that to happen um, for some of these uh, upstarts or smaller companies or medium sized companies mm-hmm. that are just kind of getting into open RAN. You know, you all mentioned earlier that it's um, kind of a drop in the bucket as far as how much money that they're willing to throw at this and if these companies are are already pretty small like what impact will that really make in the long run to have that funding i mean it, it really does come down to which companies technology they end up backing or or pushing ahead yeah and i yes it does and i also wonder how and where the carriers decide to throw their weight also potentially behind because they right. have an interest in this yeah yeah it, it, it like most things in this uh, business, it'll come to it'll come from the top down. It'll be it'll be a large carrier deciding. Um, pri- and I got to say, probably an AT and T because they've been one of the more aggressive and progressive at the same time dealing with open source. That's true. And and really kind of pushing their vendor ecosystem around to to get them to the point of actually using open open source components. Uh, decompose what they call decomposing network functions mm-hmm. and stuff like that, which sounds like they're going away, but <laughs> they just mean making them more modular. Um, if you throw government money at it and then the carriers also, or a carrier puts its yeah, weight behind it, what is that? That's, that's yeah, give it enough. And, and then, and then the other big hanging question there is again, isn't it just? It, it, isn't this a little too little too late in terms of? You know, if you really want to compete with Huawei, this was the thing that had to have happened five to ten years ago. Well, what's interesting to me is I think that, the, you know, the Huawei scare is a good catalyst for some of this. But these issues are still going to be, you know, t- take aside, <laughs> take aside yeah. whatever your, you know, prejudice is against, you know, a particular company. These issues, it's not just 5G, but a lot right. of these technologies are going to continue to be a part of whatever the next generation of wireless is. Right. So these are still problems to work through and to solve, regardless of whether or not it, it helps with the, the current situation, which, you know, yeah, you're probably right. No, there's going to be a, a huge need for um, advanced uh, wireless testing on into the future because even after this little you know thing uh this dust up finishes 5g is going to be around for a long long time so there's going to need to be uh ways to prove this stuff before going to market uh kelsey we are at about the 10 minute mark for this segment are there any other uh burning questions we have for mari yeah i think the most important question we have for mari is are scooters going to ruin our cities (laughs) and have you tried one (laughs) <laughs> I where do you, you stand know, on the scooter debate? Oh, they're a, everywhere here in DC, by the way. That's a semi-smart city question. It's a semi semi-smart city. I have not ridden one, and I am I've been meaning to for so long, and now I'm just like continuing to psych myself out of it. I definitely want to do it in some kind of controlled environment first, so that when I fall on my face, nobody's around to point and laugh. Like in one of those, <laughs> um, you know, McDonald's ball pits. <laughs> Oh yeah. my God! I just had the most vivid flashback to my childhood. Uh, um, uh, 
Yeah, no, I, so I have not, I, I have the feeling though that if I, once I get over my, my fear of trying it one time, I actually think I will totally love scooter riding and it may destroy uh, the world for pedestrians, but <laughs> bring them on, man. Bring on the scooters. I have certainly tried them and I think that what what they don't tell you, uh, if people use them on the sidewalk all the time and you're not supposed to, and that's bad. So don't, don't ride them on the sidewalks. However, um, what keeps me off of them mostly, especially in, in, inside most downtown areas, um, uh, not Fort Worth, Fort Worth's, uh, main downtown is pretty protected, but the, um, uh, the bike lanes have to be really enforced because the scooters would, should logically use the bike lanes. But um, what happens in some cities is the bike lanes are more of a suggestion, and then you end up with a scooter out there battling traffic, and that's not that's no fun. Do you know we actually have a, a there's an application that won a contest here in D.C. that U.S. Ignite helped uh, to to run that challenge called Our Streets, and one of the things the app does is it lets you report on. Um, bad behavior, essentially, take pictures and report bad behavior. Things like oh boy, uh, like cars blocking bike lanes. Ah, um, yes. You know, don't scooter snitches get stitches? Yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> they do. They get their uh, they get their apps taken away. Oh wow! I think that's a really good way to leave now. I think it's uh, yeah. I think uh, Mari's uh, signaling. She's she's giving me the uh, the choke symbol, and then she's doing the slash across the throat. So I guess I guess it's time for us to go. Literally walking out of the room. That's right. <laughs> Bye, Phil. Bye, Kelsey. All right. Well, uh, Kelsey, as ever, thanks for uh, for doing what you do and saying what you said. And uh, Mari, thanks so much for being our guest. Thanks for having me. We will be with you all next time on the Light Reading Podcast. That is it. That's our show. Thanks to Mari Silby for her time and insights, and thanks to Kelsey for her quips and questions. Thanks so much to our production crew, Tian, for making us sound good, and uh, I would say look good, but eh, let's just uh, keep it within the realm of the uh, possible here. Uh, Thanks to you, dear listener, because if you weren't paying attention, we would not be able to get away with doing all of this at work. And everyone, please tell a friend to subscribe, and we will see you next time on the Light Reading Podcast.